Hey there, it's Lauren Chuljan. You're listening to a special holiday edition of Stranglehold from New Hampshire Public Radio. We're going to take a little time off, and hopefully you are too. But before we do, we wanted to check in on that other first in the nation state. Hello, Iowa! Aloha, Iowa Democrats! Hello, Iowa! We thought it was about time we gave some love to Iowa. In this special bonus episode, we're going to hear about how Iowa became actually first and find out if there are any shared experiences between our two early states. Our friends at Iowa Public Radio have also been hustling on a podcast called Caucus Land. And the hosts, Kay Payne and Clay Masters, are here to chat with me. Hi, guys. Happy holidays. Hey. Thanks. Hey, Lauren. So festive. Um, (laughs) (laughs) You guys didn't really lean into the holidays as much as I was hoping. Uh, Merry Christmas. Are you just yeah. so exhausted of the caucus? <laughs> you got nothing left for Santa? <laughs> Gotta like make it through the week. Clay, I tried as hard as a New Hampshire person could to explain what the Iowa caucus is oh, and yeah. how it's different <laughs> from the New Hampshire primary, but I think it's probably best to throw it over to the experts. So can you first just in general, Clay, what is a caucus? So a caucus is not a you're not voting, right? Like you're showing your support for a candidate. The Democrats and the Republicans, they do it a little bit differently. We're, of course, focusing on the Democratic side. And the way that this works on February 3rd, 2020, is that people are going to gather in their neighborhoods. They're going to go to high school gymnasiums, libraries in rural parts of the state. They'll go to homes and they will show their support for who they're supporting by physically moving into a corner of a room to support a candidate. So basically, somebody gets up and says, I am going to caucus for uh, Pete Buttigieg, and these are my reasons why, and I'm going to caucus for Elizabeth Warren, and these are my reasons why. And so people kind of break into their groups. They find you know their little corner. And then if the candidate doesn't hit 15 percent, basically, uh, of the room, then they have to go to their second choice. That person is no longer viable. The candidate's not viable. And at the end of the day, or at the end of the night then, you know, which could take hours, Mm -hmm. we'll have an idea of who won the Iowa caucuses. We should. It's important to point out, one, that the parties are running these processes. It's not the Secretary of State. You know, it's all run by volunteers and well-meaning people. Just the work involved, there's so much math. You know, they call it caucus math uh, because with the caucuses, you're not reporting you know, one person, one vote results. Right. Sort of, you're earning delegates and delegate equivalents. And there are all of these calculations involved, some that go to like the fourth decimal place that these normal people are trying to understand. And, you know, the weight of potentially a decision, you know, for who could be president is hanging on this. It's just, it's an incredible amount of pressure for these people. You know, in in the second episode that we did on caucus land, uh, NPR's Don Gagne uh, came in and talked about in 2008 when he was in Iowa observing the caucuses, the second choice mattered because overwhelmingly when people had to break up because Joe Biden was no longer viable or whoever the candidate was that didn't reach that 15 percent, you know, Hillary Clinton had been dominating the polls going into that cycle, going into that caucus night. But overwhelmingly, when people had to go to their second choice, it wasn't Hillary Clinton, it was Barack Obama. So, I mean, like, that's one of the reasons why when I'm always out on the trail talking with people, I'm regularly just asking people, like, who's in your top three? Because for months, people that are curious about who they're going to nominate or who they're going to support on the caucuses have it kind of narrowed down to a top three or so. So, I mean, like, 
I'm just going to be watching to see like what happens after that first round of support is is done and who is left standing in that room. And Kate, when like since when have you guys been the first caucus in the nation? It's back since 1972 uh, that Iowa became first. And it really all started, though, with the 1968 Democratic National Convention in Chicago. This was, you know, a really contested convention where party leaders and bigwigs were sort of pitted against party activists. um, And the party activists were really upset with who the party leaders ultimately ended up choosing. And so in that process, the Democratic Party really had sort of a come to Jesus moment and said, you know, we need to redo across the country how we nominate candidates. Right. This is where our like Mm -hmm. origin stories kind of coalesce. Yeah. Yeah. And so you saw a lot of new recommendations from the DNC as far as incorporating, uh, you know, sort of rank and file voters and, and sort of putting that power to those voters as opposed to the party bigwigs. And so out of all those changes, um, different states, you know, had to change how they were running their process. And in the state of Iowa, um, in order to meet these new transparency requirements, uh, new rules, the state basically figured out they had to move their contest further up in the calendar. Um, There are sort of mixed stories we've gotten from reporters versus historians as far as how calculated this decision was to ensure that Iowa became first. Um, But it was really in 1976 with Jimmy Carter, who I know is, you know, sort of lauded in in New Hampshire as well. But he is really credited with crystallizing the Iowa caucus and coming to the state early and really believing that if he could have a showing here early on, he could carry that momentum into New Hampshire uh, and just run with it. And of course, he he took it all the way. Uh, And ever since then, people have by and large, been following in his footsteps. And I think also, too, just to like uh, hit one of my favorite things about the Iowa caucuses from that Jimmy Carter quote unquote victory is that like it is so Iowa caucus goer. He didn't actually win. He came in second to uncommitted. Yes. (laughs) Yes. I was thinking about that when you were talking about asking people for their like favorite top three, because Uh obviously he was not anyone's favorite top one. No. But there were still people on caucus night. They were like, I don't know. Who's this guy? (laughs) I just love that we share this uh, Jimmy Carter origin story. I wonder, though, do you guys have a similar history of fighting to stay first like we do? Like, are there guardians of the first in the nation caucus? Oh, yeah. I mean, like the the party chairs are always uh, I mean, they argue about everything Mm -hmm. and they spew press releases against the other candidates all the time. But when it comes to. The sanctity of first in the nation, you know, they're they're committed in standing in solidarity to protecting Iowa's uh, place. And then, like, you know, that secretary of state of yours in New Hampshire, I mean, they're, they're very quick to point out, you know, we have a very good relationship with, with Mr. Gardner. You know, I, we just spoke with him and, and he's OK with it. You know, the, yep, the, the choices I do know. that we're making. But at the same time, too, there's this criticism that's lobbed at Iowa Mm -hmm. every four years about not being inclusive enough. It's excluding people who can't make it, Mm -hmm. you know, people that are overseas with the military, maybe somebody that works a night shift or has multiple jobs or children that they Mm -hmm. don't want to take. And so one of the things that 
they had proposed early on in this cycle, and we won't get too deep into the weeds of this because mm-hmm. it's a moot point at this at, at this juncture, but that there were these virtual caucuses, which were going to allow people to use their phones, basically, to show their support in on caucus night. Um, but the DNC basically pulled the plug on that because they were concerned about cybersecurity. Con- and, and so... There are always criticisms lobbed at Iowa every four years for not being inclusive enough and then also being a overwhelmingly white state and not being as representative of the rest of the country, which I know y'all in New Hampshire get the same criticism. Oh, big time. Uh, everybody here always makes the argument, hey, if you consider the, the first four carve-out states, we're representative of the country. But, you know, there are questions about that, especially mm-hmm. in, in Julian Castro, the former HUD secretary, has been raising that concern a lot. And I'll I'll add there, Lauren, you know, one of the other potential enemies of the caucus is like the success of the caucus itself. One of the things that we're seeing here in Johnson County, where I am, which is the most reliably Democratic county, is that so many people are getting involved in this process. In some of these precinct locations, you could have a thousand people packed into a room that's built for 300. And that's just not tenable at some point. Right. You know, this, this process was built, you know, it dates back to before I was a state. You know, it started when I was, was still a territory and it truly was in people's farmhouses and living rooms, you know, with a dozen people. And it's just not, it's not a process that can scale. And that's really starting to show in, in some of these densely populated areas in particular. See, that is so interesting to me because, A, I had no idea that that was an existential threat, and B, because for us, one of uh, Secretary State Gardner's go-to you know, defenses of the primary is our turnout, that that it, mm-hmm. it shows how responsible and how yeah. seriously we take this, we meaning the voters. So that's so interesting to hear that. It's, it's going to be some people, <laughs> some Democrats in the state are really concerned heading into this cycle in particular of just it could be a mess. It could be a mess. And again, when you have volunteers who are in charge of this process, I mean, just trying to count a thousand people in a gym, like it's just, you know, when people have been campaigning, you know, for a year, two years, and they're so excited to finally be able to express their support, and you're just trying to count them. It can be, it's hurting cats. It's hurting cats. Right. And so, Clay, I, I want to, before I let you guys go, talk a little bit about the show in general. Uh, the difference mm-hmm. I've noticed between you, your show and our show is that we've kind of stayed away from the campaign trail, but you guys have really, like, gone right in the thick of it, and you've interviewed candidates. Mm-hmm. And so I would be curious to know, when you were planning, what were some of the, like, must-have Iowa events that you knew had to be included in the show? Otherwise, it would not be a good representation of the caucus experience. Well, we knew that we needed to have an Iowa State Fair show. So <laughs> the Iowa State Fair is ridiculous because yes. it's it, it's in Des Moines. It's packed into the heart of the city. And I mean, like there's there's, you know, the big boar competition where the, the <laughs> fattest pig wins. There's, you know, the horse racing. The big boar competition? The yeah. The big boar competition. Yeah. There's a husband calling competition, husband which I call- love. Wait, excuse me, what? Um, I think you guys live on a different planet. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, like this thing is already like a, a ton of people go there. There's there's a wide variety of entertainment. There's the Ferris wheel. There's all this. But then on, on the lead up to the Iowa caucuses in that you know presidential cycle there 
is a parade of presidential candidates that show up and they get on the Des Moines Register political soapbox. I got and some like, tape of that, Clay. <laughs> oh, oh, you do? Yeah, let me play it for you. It's an excerpt of your Caucusland episode on the State Fair. Welcome to the 2019 Des Moines Register political soapbox. That's the newspaper's political editor, Rachel Stassenberger. She regularly introduces the candidates, always starting out with some ground rules. We expect Iowa nice. What that means, don't hold up your signs, because then people behind you can't see. Try not to heckle. That's just not very nice, is it? Feel free to cheer. Feel free to interact with the candidates. But let's make it all very Iowa nice. Got it? All right. This stage is famous among politicos, but as Stassenberger points out, it's a pretty simple setup. It's not huge and ostentatious at all. And there are Iowans standing there and sitting down in the heat. It can rain on them. There's lots and lots of media because of the tradition of the soapbox. And so there are all all sorts of ways that in these non-scripted interactions, candidates can go wrong. Like this exchange between the eventual 2012 Republican nominee Mitt Romney and the crowd gathered in front of that stage. We have to make sure that the promises we make in Social Security, Medicaid, and Medicare are promises we can keep. And there are various ways of doing that. One is we could raise taxes on people. That's not the way. Corporations. Corporations are people, my friend. We can raise taxes on. Of course they are. Everything corporations earn ultimately goes to people. So, where do you think it goes? Whose pockets? Whose pockets? People's pockets. That corporations are people line stuck with Romney throughout his campaign. The fair is full of political and cultural landmines. During the 2007 state fair, Republican candidate Fred Thompson infamously wore designer shoes. The wardrobe choice undermined his appeal to working class voters and dogged his campaign. Some candidates just skipped the soapbox altogether, like both Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump did in 2015. Clinton toured the fairgrounds. Trump did too, but first he flew kids in his helicopter over the fairgrounds. Well, it just is going to be very exciting for the kids, and I know the kids are going to go up. We have quite a few children going to take rides today. So where are the children? Get them over here. That's great. I love children. I love Iowa. Great place. That's so good. And I got to ask you, do you guys get annoyed that we also call ourselves first? Like, do you feel like you're the real chosen first in the nation? Like, what's the vibe about New Hampshire from Iowa? I feel like the perception of New Hampshire from Iowa is that it is a threat. Oh, really? Always. Yeah. Yes. I mean, because there's so much pressure on Iowa being first and on the caucuses in particular. And any time somebody tries to tinker around with the caucuses, you know, the DNC is saying you got to let more people in. You got to, you know, have a way to do recounts, you know, on, on ballots. But we can't have ballots in Iowa because then New Hampshire and Secretary of State Bill Gardner will swoop in and take first away from Iowa. And that's so, right, because you know, then it, Iowans can't have that. That's right. Clay, what do you think? How do people think about New Hampshire? Well, I mean, like, if you look at the calendar, Lauren, what comes first, Iowa or New Hampshire? It's Iowa. It's Iowa. I'm yeah, clear so, on I that. Mean, like, <laughs> I mean, like, it's first in the nation. It's like they're always 
they're proud of themselves and they're puffing Iowans are puffing their chests up as being first in the nation. But there's that side eye, you know, they're mm-hmm. looking at New Hampshire. Yeah. You know, is it, are they OK with how proud I feel right now? Yeah, <laughs> I, I can be proud. Does this look too much like a primary? You know, yeah, exactly. That is the question constant. from us. Is is it a different enough thing that that yeah. that we can keep that window? Or I should say that's Secretary Bill uh-huh. Gardner's argument that it, it's got to be different enough. Otherwise, mm-hmm. you know, we would jump. Do people from New Hampshire look at Iowa and think, oh, that's cute. Like, oh, they have their little caucuses. Cute. Yeah, first in the nation, air quotes. I I mean, the puffing of the chest thing just really resonated with me because that is the vibe here, too, where it's just like it's all New Hampshire or nothing for the people who are very invested in it. But but as far as normal people, I think it's all like they got their thing, we got ours. Yeah, and do you guys get the same thing, too, where, you know, when the, the national media or somebody is talking, a, a political expert is talking about Iowa – They'll talk about like, oh man, everybody's so engaged, right? Yes. Like the entire state knows. They're so who, smart. They know who Steve Bullock is. It's and not they know true. Who, no, it's not true. Things. No, it's not true. So many people. There, there have been so many instances where, like, you're just in public. There, there was this time where when we interviewed Cory Booker, that we he wanted one. He's a vegan, and he wanted one of those plant-based whoppers. And so we stopped at a at a Burger King so he could get one. And, you know, he was in line and there were people behind him. And Kate, I think you were standing mm-hmm. closer. But I mean, like one of the people there was like, didn't even know who Cory Booker was. And the guy with him had to like explain to him that he's a senator from New Jersey who's running for president. I mean, like people just aren't as plugged in um, across the board, across the state as sometimes I think Iowa gets uh, represented as being. Well, you guys, this has been such a joy. I'm so glad we got to do this. Kate Payne, Clay Masters of Iowa Public Radio, hosts of Caucus Land. Thank you, Lauren. Oh, Great thanks. show. You're welcome. You can find Kate and Clay's show Caucus Land wherever you get your podcasts. This bonus episode of Stranglehold was produced by me, Lauren Chulgin. Stranglehold is edited by NHPR's Director of Content, Maureen McMurray, and News Director, Dan Barrick. Jack Rolico is Senior Producer, Rebecca Lavoie is NHPR's Digital Director, and Sarah Plord made our beautifully aggressive podcast graphics. Special thanks to Dad, Barry Chulgin, who helped us name this podcast. Original music by Jason Moon and Lucas Anderson. We'll be back in a couple weeks with more episodes of Stranglehold, but until then, Stranglehold is a production of New Hampshire Public Radio. I live by routines, but I especially love my same-day delivery routine with Shipped. And my shopper knows this about me. When Sunday rolls around and I place my weekly stock-up order, Joe sends texts from the aisles. Wilted lettuce? Nuh-uh. Hard pass. Deal on my favorite sparkling water? Whew. Grab two. Fresh flowers just because? Hmm. Sounds like a delightful idea. If you love routines that work for you, get Shipped same-day delivery. Shipped. Delight in every delivery. Learn more at ship.com slash high.
It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. <laughs> 